Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Vassal is a serial entrepreneur, founder and author of two best-selling books. He is a three times award-winning founder and CEO of Deloitte Technology Fast 50 and the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 Awards. In the interview, Vassal shares how he himself financed his own coming to America at the age of 17 from Bangladesh and the wisdom or the lesson he learned from his supervisor when he was still working as a janitor. He shared the health challenges his mother and son faced and how he derives meaning from what he does. He shared how traveling to Japan once and being influenced by Zen meditation and also the role and relevance of meditation for today's leaders, which he also writes about in his book. Hi, Faisal. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, Shubhadhev. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. And to begin with, for our listeners, can you share a little bit about who you are and what do you do? Sure. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur since probably I was 14 years old. Now I'm in my early 50s. I've also worked for a couple of very large Fortune 50 companies in my initial early stage of my career. And I'm in a technology space, but I also do a lot of writing. We're writing for 20 years now. I've got, I think, seven, eight books out. Two of my books came out this year. One is a brand new, another one is a second edition of one of my previous books. So that's why I wear many hats. Wonderful. Can you share a little bit more about right entrepreneur since 14? Can you share a little bit of your backstory? Sure. I wanted, I'm originally from Bangladesh. I was born in Bangladesh and I wanted to come to U.S. to study. And my parents are very traditional parents and they wanted me to be an engineer and study and there where my father went to his engineering school. I didn't want to do that and figured out that I'm going to have to 
start saving some money. And I was very much into music and I was very much into stereos. And we're talking about now, these, this is early 80s, right? So mm. there is no internet, none of that stuff. If you want to learn something, you go to the library. And if you want to learn about schools overseas, you go to the, they used to have a U.S. cultural center right next to the embassy. So you go there and learn about these things. So I started selling your stereo equipment. I would have somebody bring one or two pieces from whoever gone overseas, and then I'll sell it to some for a markup. So that's my beginning stage of entrepreneurship. And that kind of gave me some savings so that I could come to U.S. And despite my parents' disapproval. So I ended up coming to U.S. when I was between 17 and 18 years old and started there. Started my school in electrical engineering in Southern Illinois University. It was horrendously tough because I didn't have much money. And after I had a very little scholarship as an undergrad student. So my first job was as, as actually as a graveyard ship janitor on campus. And then I managed to get a full scholarship in uh, University of Minnesota. So I moved yeah. from Illinois to Minnesota. And that that's started my career. So I, yeah. the definition of entrepreneurship is at the end of the cell, at the end of the day, it's taking care of your financial well-being with your own venture and the venture mm. you can define it where you want. Yes. Yeah. And just to get it right, at the age of 17, you came to the U.S. and you financed it yourself, right? Is that what Pretty you're Pretty much. Yes. Hmm. Pretty much. I had very little help from my parents. First, they were not inclined. For me to come here and second, they're a middle-class family in Bangladesh. So it's not... Yeah. Tell me more at the age of 17 and you spoke about at the age of 14, like where do you even get the courage or the guts to go so far away and then to do it on your own? A very tender age where people are often scared or unsure about themselves. And what I am listening is a huge sense of direction, but also the capability to make it happen. I had some advantages. I went to a missionary school called St. Joseph. That's one of the best schools in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And all my friends were very driven. They are, we were very culturally aware of not just our own culture and Eastern philosophies and whatnot, but also very much aware of Western culture and higher education in different parts of the world. And many of our senior brothers, meaning from schools, they did ended up going to many parts of the world, whether it's uh, whether UK, Netherlands, where you are, or whether that's in Japan or US, they're all over the world. So we, I had that quote unquote inspiration or guided path. And by the way, it's not that they all finance themselves, their family supported. So I had that inclination. And then as I was sharing with you that I used to spend quite a bit of time, uh, in the U.S. Cultural Center, which used to call USIS, U.S. You know, like American Creation Centers, something like that. And they had like all these, you had a huge collection of jazz music and huge collection of all these movies and movies and tons of books and tons of information about all these higher educational institutes. So you, so it came from there. And, and I know people from back where I come from, they are... I think inherently very resilient and they find a way. If you have it in yourself, you find a way, right? And it was not all cakewalk by all means, because I was, you talk about courage and scared. I, when I landed in, in Southern Illinois, in St. Louis to be specific, 
I had no clue. And when I landed, that's when I realized what I got myself into because it, it was not something, it's like there is a romantic sense of adventure and then the reality of it, right? It's quite foolish. And I don't know whether I would be comfortable if my 20-year-old son all of a sudden said, hey, listen, I'm just going to walk out of the house and go to a farm. I mean, back then, remember, there was no phones, there was no cell phone, there was no internet, nothing. So you go somewhere and you wait like months to make a connection to your family member. So yeah, it was quite, you know, quite the journey. Yeah. And coming back to the present moment, how has that prepared you? How has that shaped you in everything that you do today? Look, it's, I think that resiliency stayed with me. And just like million others, you know, what happens, life is a journey and you have ups and downs, you have failures after failures, and then you have few success and then you have failures. It's, it's never like a straight line, right? It just like, it goes up and down, just like your heartbeat, right? And what has happened as I grown older, I've always been a dreamer, but I'm a pragmatic. And now I prepare for the worst case scenario with a pragmatic mindset because of all the things that has happened in the sense that I have had misfortune in my career. As an example, in mid-20s, I started my internet tech companies, raised lots of money. And within six months, I got fired by my own VCs. And I figured that I don't want to be an entrepreneur ever again because I just lost my company. So that was a big lesson. And ultimately, the company didn't sur survive because it was mismanaged and I wasn't there, but it died out. And so... That was a big lesson. And I wasn't as mature of a leader as I am right now. And then I started the next venture, was, did very well. And then 2010, 2011 timeframe, when the market started to crash, I had another major hiccup. And then I moved on and, and then it's been all fine. And then my mother got sick. My son that I talked to you about, he got diagnosed with a rare disease. He's doing fine now. All these have shifted mm -hmm. and changed. And, and, you know, and, and in the meantime, I also had tremendous opportunity, travel all over the place, meet all kinds of people. My motivation in terms of what I wanted to do when I was in mid-20s and early 20s versus what I do now is very different. I'm not like last five years, I decided to focus my attention to take my knowledge and expertise and provide it to our government, which is the U.S. government, as I've been working a lot with our government. And then my writing style also changed. When I wrote my first book 20 years ago, it was a business book that focused on business, why business model fails and succeeds. And then as time went by, I found myself writing more about mindfulness and empathy and leadership and how you connect with yourself and call on your authentic self. And as a result, you connect with what's your true calling and try to make an impact. Mm -hmm. So it's evolution and it's a, it's a journey. And I, despite the ups and downs, I totally enjoy it. I've got bad experience because you don't see it while you are in it, but it definitely gives you a learning that you would not have it otherwise. It's a, it's a experience is the best teacher. And I have this saying where I say, look, you can't have a constant happiness, but you can have momentary and that's really enough. And if you can have that more joys and you can find joy, whatever journey you're taking, then you're, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you spoke about uh, calling, right? So 
going ahead now into the future what is it that that you see are, is like where do you see the dots connecting what gives you purpose for the more the older i get and more i do and you know, i have been very fortunate to work with some of the best companies in the world as customers they have been my customer from my various companies but also through my writing i i was able to explore a lot of different type of personalities their styles of leadership management and whatnot so I find myself more and more almost like a share of knowledge and contribute the knowledge any way I can and learn from it. I find enormous joy in it because if you can, if that sparks somebody with some inspirations, that's a huge impact. But look at everything from that angle that can I make an impact, whatever small form, it doesn't have to be like you got to change the world to make an impact. You can make a little impact on somebody's life. Whether that's on an individual level or in the form of their career, it's, it's, it's fine. So, you know, 18 months ago when I wrote, when I was writing Lyft, I was in a very different place. I found out that my son got sick, so I set up this. That was the motivation to write Lyft, which is about, it's a very optimistic look about how the world has changed. And as a result, even though we have lots of adversity and change meaning of the pandemic, climate, misinformation, you name it. But there's opportunity to make an Im make impact, right? Small and large. It's a very optimistic view. And I, I decided that all the proceeds from the books, and which are really well, both of them became Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I created these online courses. All proceeds goes to cancer research and a couple of other charities. I find myself more and more as a, not a traditional teacher, but a teacher of some kind who learns and then distribute the knowledge. And that's really my calling. And even with my customers, like large customer, I take on a role more as an influencer and try to navigate them versus a traditional leader who goes and demand things. And then I have uh, a multifaceted organization because I have two companies that I'm running simultaneously, plus my customers are fairly large customers. But more and more, I'm, I find myself, like my calling is, about learning and documenting and kind of distributing that knowledge in any form I can. Yeah, yeah. And you shared about a few moments when you became aware of that. But can you go a little bit deeper? When, because every entrepreneur wants uh, starts with that ambition, right? It's so it's more about creating something in the world, and then every entrepreneur at a point shifts to. I think most people shift to giving or contributing or taking joy from making impact. Can you share a bit about where that transition happened for you? Sure. So I can't claim that I was a very evolved entrepreneur when I was in my early 20s or even in my early 30s because I was one of those classic tech entrepreneurs who wanted to build a big tech company and do all the tech company does. It goes public, raises a lot of money, have big customers. So I achieved some of that, not all of it, but I achieved some of them. I didn't take my company public, but I achieved raising money and building it up pretty nicely and have three big customers, like the Fortune 50 yeah. customers. So I've done that. But and but as I moved on from my 30s to 40s, that's where I started seeing my shift. And I had some great mentors along the way. And some mentors I didn't appreciate because I was not as mature or evolved as I am now. And some I appreciated very much along the way. So my first mentor, by the way, was that janitorial supervisor that I had on my mm -hmm. campus because we would work at midnight and he will throw these like life lessons 
And I was really annoyed. I'm like here, 19, 20 years old, and I'm trying to survive. And I didn't want to hear these life lessons, right? And But this was a very thoughtful, generous, older gentleman. And you tell me like, be one with the floor. And I said, what is one with the floor mean? He was talking about mindfulness. And I didn't really understand that. It took me many years later to understand what he was really talking about. And then, and then I'm in my late 30s and early 40s, I met a couple of very senior people in the industry. One of them happens to be a Japanese a gentleman who was running Toshiba U.S. operation. He was the chairman and CEO of Toshiba. And his, he took me to Japan. I was already very much interested in Eastern culture because of where I come from. And I got really into Zen Buddhism and traveled through some really spiritual parts of Japan and it completely transformed me. And so it's an evolution. And, and then and then as my mother got sick and then my son got sick a couple of years ago, everything changed. And it's like I, I started to appreciate more and more that how precious life is and how momentary life is. And it is really, it's really upon us to do our best beyond ourselves. And each of us has something to contribute. It doesn't have to be big. We don't have to all change the world. But if we change our surrounding, that will have a ripple effect. That's why yeah. when I say Everything Connects, which was my book that I wrote six years ago, that was right after I had this couple of trips in Japan. I was sitting in Dubai airport and I knocked out this outline and it was really about connecting to yourself and how to create some sort of an impact and the definition of impact. It's solely upon you. And then Lyft, when I wrote Lyft 18 months ago, which came out actually this year, it was about, it's about lift. If you want to lift others, first you have to lift yourself. That's essentially mm. is the message. But obviously me being in tech space, there is there's a huge connotation of how fourth industrial revolution is changing the way we work. And you and I wouldn't be talking right now if the technology is where it is today, but we can because of technology, right? So, so there's lots of opportunity to able to make impact, able to connect with people wherever, and able to really take advantage of whatever gift that you may have. It's your unique journey. It can be replicated. You can't follow somebody else's path. It's your own unique journey. Thank you. Thank you, Faisal, for sharing that. I absolutely loved that you shared and you remembered that advice from the janitor. And it's so humbling. It's so humbling because especially at that young age, normally we wouldn't even listen. Yeah. And even if we would listen, we would disregard it and not remember it like many decades into yeah. the future. But what you're telling me and what I am learning is that like the life lessons or advice or wisdom can come from anywhere. Like it's not yeah, just absolutely. from experts yeah. or... Yeah, absolutely. You know, and each human being has something to offer. And we are constantly have that opportunity. It's up on us to be in tune with that, right? And you can, you can learn from a taxi driver, you can learn from a Harvard PhD professor, or you can learn from your colleague, right? You can learn from your mother. You can learn from the cooks who cooks in a restaurant. It doesn't matter, right? There's a learning can come from anywhere. Inspiration can come from anywhere and everywhere. But as I was sharing with you, I consider myself utterly fortunate because every step of the way, when I needed the help most, somehow that help just manifest and knowingly and unknowingly. And as I've matured, and gotten older, I can see those more easily 
versus when I was, because you're not as evolved, right? So you yeah. can't really connect the dots. So now I see those readily. And, you know, there's a, entrepreneurs in general are, are driven people. You don't even have to be an entrepreneur. And by, by definition, everybody is an entrepreneur. A author is an entrepreneur. A musician is an entrepreneur. A manager is an entrepreneur of some kind. I say everybody is, a, the definition of entrepreneurship has completely changed. We are usually very driven, especially the classical entrepreneurs yeah. are very driven. And often we try to shape what's the outcome rather than try to enjoy the journey and mm-hmm. let it happen, right? So in one of my books, I wrote that life is somewhere in between letting it happen and making it happen. There's a fine balance. You got to let it happen while you're trying to make it happen. And again, even when I wrote that, a lot of these things, by the way, I wrote it for myself. And then initially when I was writing, I wasn't publishing any of this stuff because of course, because my customers are these large Fortune 50 companies. Who's going to listen to this stuff, right? So mm-hmm. I kept it to myself. And then I slowly started writing vlogs and, and, and articles. But, you know, I said that, but it was really for myself. And when you write for yourself, that's actually a learning moment for yourself. So that also helped me to realize a lot of these quote-unquote what you call the wisdom yeah. that you would learn from yeah. yourself. Yeah, this is very similar to my own story as well because I grew up as an engineer into software yeah. computers, which is very analytical, like trying to make every minute of your day productive. And right. now what I am doing is I'm coaching leaders when I'm including a lot of these Eastern wisdom, mindfulness, stopping, taking a pause, doing nothing. So I want that's what I want to ask you in the practicals, in the day-to-day. How do you make it happen while still letting it happen? Where do you merge the analytical science, the Western science, uh, everything around the industrial revolution? and which we have learned in the last 200 years has been about data experimenting, A-B testing, and then Zen Buddhism, right? It's totally different side of the spectrum. How do you merge these two? Look, see, the, and I, I touched upon this pretty significantly in in my last two, two books. So that definitely, let's define mindfulness first, right? A lot of people think mindfulness is about uh, you meditate and you completely empty your mind and you get lost and as a result, you connect within yourself. That is a method. That's a formal method of practicing meditation. And then as a result, you achieve mindfulness. But since you mentioned Zen Buddhism, the monks, the two activity they treasure and practice repeatedly is sweeping and cleaning and cooking. So it's cleaning and cooking. Those are the two daily tasks they do very seriously. And the reason is that while you're cooking, you think about nothing but cooking. And while you're cleaning, you do nothing but cleaning. The definition of mindfulness really just focusing on at the present moment. Past is gone, future is unknown. All you can do is focus on the present. And you can take it at a very minutia level. So for example, if you're crafting an email, just craft the email. Don't worry about whatever else that you have in your to-do list, right? Or when you're having a conversation, don't look at your email and look at your SMX message because that's not going to be a meaningful conversation. So that's where mindfulness comes in. I actually do meditate, but more than that, I have these moments of whether that's through cooking, walking outside, or spending time with my family. And I completely shut down my phones and all that stuff because that gives you that 
pause that, that, that allows you to enjoy the moment. And if you take it to a broader context, you can, when I say making it happen and letting it happen, like nothing actually happens without plan and coming up with the idea and then actually systemic execution. Since you're by training, I'm, I'm still an engineer and I do build products. So I can totally relate to this. There's a systemic execution of whatever plans you have, and there's a pragmatic execution of whatever you're trying to do. But there's an anxiousness that drives many of us. So why is it has an happened? I have to make it happen by tomorrow. Time is passing by. And we go into this mode and we make ourselves overly anxious. And as a result, mm-hmm. things start falling apart. So it's that stopping the, you know, and, and actually in, in second edition of Everything Connects, I have actually an acronym called STOP. It's basically this four, five stop, five words has meaning in them. Stop, take a break, and then observe what's going on. Take your time, et cetera, et cetera. But it's every few minutes, every couple of hours, you need to stop yourself to think wherever the day is going. So that allows you to build up that patience level. But let's not get confused that you can make things happen without systemic execution. If you want to scale something, if you want to lead people, then you do have to put process in place and do have to understand how things get how things are going to actually get done. But this combination of mindfulness and being empathetical to other people's need and where they are, combining those two things, that's the hallmark of new leadership. It's not command and control. It's being able to connect with other people and then putting a system in place, but let it work in their own rhythm, right? Because everybody has their own rhythm. Also, the other thing, this is one of my other favorite things, Let's manage progress of people. If you start managing people, so definition of people, managing people is, did they show up at work? Did they show up at work at eight o'clock? When did they leave the office? Uh, are they in the office those six hours? How long was their lunch? This managing people. Managing progress is, okay, did Shumit got up last night and produced this brilliant piece of code? That's progress. And But you did it in the middle of the night. You don't have to do it like uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. But I need meetings for meetings today. These are all style of leadership that goes absolutely nowhere. And we have absolutely entered into a creative, innovative phase of evolution where mundane work is being taken over by automation and mm. the real value comes from creativity and innovation. We have to nurture that in, in every way. It's a, it's a long way to answer what, I, what you're asking me, but yeah. it's... I was trying to connect myself, but also to the organization. Yes, I think this is quite resonating with what I am also discovering is, right, the the meditation which you do in the beginning or the end of the day, that's not the purpose, right? The purpose is to carry that state into every activity. And then if you can do, if you can bring yourself fully into whatever you're doing, then the quality of that goes up. And more importantly, as you said, the anxiety or the constant worry basically goes down. So your well-being, your quality of your living goes up and then you are able to achieve much more even when working less. And this doesn't take away anything from systemic execution or putting in processes or using your intelligence. So this is complementary. Both of them like adds. And uh, as a human being, it completes us rather than seeing it as yeah. something something 
like uh, totally weird. It's it's a missing aspect, which is probably which now science is proving. But I think there's a lot of wisdom which still science is, uh, has yet to discover from the. No, absolutely. I mean, the neurological impact. And one doesn't work without the other, by the way. Meaning, if you're, mm-hmm. the best leaders are very mindful and they're also very empathetic. But it's difficult to practice both, and you can't practice one versus another. You have to. And so the reason it is difficult to practice is because. By very nature, we are self-preserving beings. So we think about ourselves first and then about other people. So if you want to practice empathy, then you have to consciously practice that. It's easy to get irritated with uh, when somebody is telling something that you really don't want to hear, or it's easy to get irritated when somebody's not really following what you're asking. So it's that practice of mindfulness stops you from doing that, which in essentially allows you mm-hmm. to practice empathy. So there's the true connection. And yeah. then if you cannot do that, then you cannot ins- inspire and influence the people that you're trying to lead to do whatever that you want them to do and produce the progress you're trying to make. And I, I'll give my own case. I have never been more productive as I have been less than the last four or five years. And especially the last two years, which is really interesting because I've been totally occupied with my son's health and whatever is going on in the world. Plus, I've been I've got pretty big clients. I'm managing the client and I have development team and I've got content team and I've got all those. And in between, I pulled these two books and I finished the manuscript of our next book, which comes out early next year. So that's quite a bit of work. And I found myself that I'm much, much more productive than I was in my early 20s and early 30s. And this is not an age issue. It's a maturity issue. It's a your practice level. I perform, it's a comparison to, my, to myself. It's not a comparison to anybody else. So I've seen my output has gone up as I've tried to shift my mindset and try to balance. And so I, like when I have meetings now, I hate meetings that more than 30, 30 minutes because after that, it becomes unproductive, right? So I hate having me planning for having me to plan for the meeting. These are not needed, right? So I have cut down a lot of those things. And as a result, my whenever I'm, and I do take a lot of these small segments of timeouts throughout yeah. the day. And yeah. I found myself that does give me a lot, of, lot more efficiency and productivity than I ever used to have. That's a wonderful practice. And I think it's also a paradox. Sometimes I ask people to slow down to speed up. And I think that's what you're referring. A lot of very productive or very successful people are able to get a lot more done, which like from a, only a productivity point of view, you would normally burn yourself out. And right. then those keeping those buckets of time and then really being present allows you to, first of all, see things clearly, right? To not yeah. waste time, as you said, in meetings, but also to say no, because say no is something which yeah. a lot of people struggle with. When you right. can see something so clearly, first of all, you can cut like a knife through butter, and then you can also say no to everything which doesn't matter. Going ahead into the future, and with this balanced state, what are your some of your biggest challenges which you foresee for the coming years? At this stage of my career, a lot of these things are self-inflicted aspiration and self-inflicted adversity. I don't have, this is going to sound funny, I want to keep producing, but I don't have any kind of a bring aspirated goals that, okay, I have to increase my revenue by 40% per year, or I have to become this person, and I have to get this award, or I have to 
I don't have any of those. But what I have is that whatever I'm doing, I want to give my 100% and make, and make the output the best I can. And that output is about impacting others, not necessarily just impacting myself, right? So, mm. so it's shifted. So I don't have that. So you know, if you say, okay, I want to scale my company by quadrupling my revenue, that could be, then you can have a lot of challenges. Or if you say, look, I wrote two books this year. I want to write three books next year. So I don't have that kind of aspiration. So it's a, it's, and it's, it's a luxury because, and I, because that's where I am. That's where I am right now. But who knows what's going to happen in the future. But right now, I'm just, I'm enjoying the journey for the first time in my life. Where I don't have any kind of any kind of like gun on my head that you got to do this, otherwise the whole world is going to stop forgetting about you. And if the world forgets about me, then forgets about me. So I have I don't know I have no title. I don't carry any business cards. I don't. It's a, I've I've finally achieved the stage in my life where I'm just happy doing whatever I'm doing on a day in day basis, and I utterly focus on whatever I'm doing. That output is the best output that I can produce. It's not a comparison to anybody else. Is that is it better quality than the one I produced yesterday? And that's about it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think so often we let ourselves be defined by expectations, either our own or somebody else's. And what you're saying is right. You have, uh, you have in a way, you have created your own definition of success, right? If yeah. what you are describing is not success, or fulfillment, then I don't know what is. And also this notion of enough, I think you use that word. So often we chase growth, but we have no notion of what is enough. And by that, in that chase, we lose so much. But that simple thing, right, that this is enough for me. And then every day you are still busy, still productive, still following what you said, right? Still letting life. And that's, that's wonderful. It's, it's like, I, I feel gratitude to be able to hear that from somebody. Look, we are, we all, and there's a different stages of your life, right? You're in early stage, you learn. In mid stage, you establish your own expertise, whatever that maybe is. And then uh, hopefully in your third act and fourth act, you say, okay, I can take this expertise and maybe build a financial stability. And maybe fourth act says, okay, I've done that. Now maybe I want to focus on impact, right? So these are various stages of human growth, but obviously entrepreneurial growth, right? And you know, everybody's definition, there's no right or wrong answer. Everybody's definition of life, entrepreneurship, leadership, management is different, right? And you don't have to follow anybody's, anybody's yeah. definition, anybody's scorecard. You define whoever, you know, whoever, whatever works for you. That's why they say you do you, right? That's, you define your, it's your own song. You write it, you play it, you enjoy it. If you don't like it, write a new one. But we do happen to have that options. And these days now, right? I mean, we, we had a huge, and, but there, this is where I get excited about technology because it doesn't matter. You can be sitting in Mumbai or you could be sitting in Dhaka, Bangladesh, or you could be sitting where you're sitting or I'm sitting and we have all equal opportunity to do something, whatever that is. Right? Yes, the world is a very different place than it was a few decades ago. And that opens up so much possibilities for somebody who really wants to explore, as you said, right? So right. before before we wrap up, right, uh, if somebody is listening, if somebody wants to find out more about you and whatever you are writing or creating, 
What is the best way to do? I think you can go to my personal website because it's pretty active. Um, obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, hawk.com. It's F-A-I-S-L-H-O-Q-E.com. Uh, you can put that in the show notes as well. That's where you can find whatever new project that I'm taking on. And thank you, honored that you reached out to me and wanted to, this ha- wanted to have this conversation. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Faisal. I will make sure to include those, the website and your LinkedIn with the show notes. And I want to wish you best for the two books, but then also for everything else that is coming in the future acts for you. And I wish you that you continue living the way that you're doing and keep having fun. Thank you, Shubhan. I wish you the same and I wish your audience exactly the same thing. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, Can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.